Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today we are going to finish up what we started last week, which is a two-part episode with Gary Ingram uh, of Love and Truth Network. Gary, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Teresa. Great to be with you again. Now, last week we covered in relative detail um, your story um, and your experiences with uh, the homosexual community and mm-hmm. some of that stuff. But today we wanted to kind of delve into another set of muddy waters, which is um, dealing with pornography, and but more specifically, pornography within the church. And you're the one that actually came up with the topic. Why is it that you wanted to cover this? Well, I was a pastor at a church for 12 years. I mentioned this last week, a pastor at a church for 12 years in upstate New York. And I was involved in their counseling ministry right from the very beginning and then became the director of that ministry. And then later the pastor of soul care ministries overseeing all counseling and support groups from that, in that church. And, and through that time and, and through other connections with a variety of ministries dealing really in the in restoring sexual wholeness realm, that kind of thing. What my wife and I have realized is that the church, you know, as good as the church is in many respects, it is not dealing with sexual wholeness and restoring sexual wholeness uh, well at all. There's an emotional and spiritual cancer in the church and underbelly of sexual sin and addiction that in some cases is being winked at. But I think in most cases, it's just being ignored because people don't know what to do with it. Pastors don't know how to really navigate it well. You know, men's groups, women's groups, uh, small groups, what have you. What we've seen is that the norm in the church is that people are living double lives. People are Mm -hmm. presenting themselves one way uh, because, you know, putting their best foot forward, so to speak, and and that that's rampant in the church. But, But almost no one is fully known by anybody. They have all kinds of secrets, all kinds of sin, and and sexual sin in particular has a, a really powerful uh, and painful shame associated with it. I think that's one of the major factors where people are, are uncomfortable in talking about their struggles. Pastors and leaders are uncomfortable bringing up the struggles, and and yet we have it's, – it's some of the most defining issues of our time right now as a culture – and everybody in the world is talking about sex and identity and all of that, except for the church. We need to step it up and bring a biblical worldview and understanding that's not just that's not prudish, but is really relevant um, and and inviting for people to understand God's good creation around sexuality. Well, I mean, when you're talking about sexual sin, I mean, what people when people think about dealing with sexual sin. What they say is, well, God says don't do it outside of marriage. Therefore, that's what the Bible says. Therefore, that's what you should do. You should live with that. Right. Exactly. And, and well, that's fine in terms of, okay, that's what the Bible says. Now the question is, how do we actually do that? Because it's, uh, you know, God, has, God created sex to be an amazing, back in New York, I live, now live in Arizona, but back in New York, uh, in the wintertime, we had a wood stove. And, and that is, I love wood heat. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's just, it's rich. It, it's, um, um, it's pretty intense in terms of the heat that it puts off. So in that wood stove though, that's the container that makes sense and is the place that, uh, the only place in the home where we should be uh, putting a, a wood fire. 
if I just went downstairs or, or any other part of the house and just, you know, crumpled up some paper and uh, put some kindling on and later some logs, and I started that fire, it would burn the whole house down. And in a similar way, and that's true for water. I mean, think about the, the damage that's done by, uh, by flooding and all of that. And yet we need water to sustain life. The same thing is true for sex. You know, we, we, can, we understand that in the natural realm, but oftentimes when it comes to um, the spiritual and emotional realm, well, and it, actually the physical realm too, there are so many repercussions, so much damage that we do by taking sex outside of the container, outside of the boundary um, for which the creator um, designed sex to be experienced to give life, to, to develop life. And so, you know, now we're in a situation where we uh, nearly 60 million uh, babies have been um, slaughtered since Roe versus mm -hmm. Wade. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have all kinds of STDs that not only an increase of the couple that we used to have, but an increase in, in the type of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. HIV has come on the, um, on the scene and AIDS. If we simply did it God's way, and I, I'm the, I certainly did not do that growing up, but if we did it God's way, um, there would be such a profound reduction in, in simply some of the natural consequences of, of taking it outside of the design, um, uh, the, the, uh, the place that God designed sex to happen, which of course is in the context of a committed monogamous marriage between one man and one woman, one biological man, one biological woman. In that context, that is where sex should be happening. That's where life should be taking place. Babies are, are uh, conceived. Um, and the enjoyment and the bond of, of uh, sexual union and orgasm is meant to draw the relationship even closer between one man and one woman. Now we're out having sex with multiple people, uh, maybe even multiple, you know, other genders too, just basically having it any way we want. And we're not even thinking about the consequences of, of, you know, during orgasm, both for men and women, there's, there are hormones released that actually that cause us to bond to that person. And, and so our emotions and the damage and the destruction that's being done at a soul and emotional level is, is incredible. Um, and we're just ignoring all of that. Well, now, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if you heard, but uh, now, I mean, they've come out with actual sexual robots. So, I mean. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I heard that and I'm like, I'm not even going to touch that one. That's just weird. You know? Yeah, I just, well, I just heard yesterday, I think it might have been on, on World uh, Magazine and on their podcast. I think it was. I heard uh, yesterday on a podcast that uh, in 10 years, um, they're expecting um, sex dolls to be a, uh, a major replacement for um, the real deal. Actually, no, it wasn't even on that podcast. It was in uh, Nancy Piercy. Uh, has written a book called Love Thy Body, and it was in her her book uh, that she talks about that. There's already there is a country. Um, I won't say the name of it just because I can't. I'm uh, I think I know it, but I can't remember for sure. But there's a country where there's already um, like a, a brothel that that is made up of um, sex dolls. Unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. So let's 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 let me ask you this. I mean, let's you know get the to brass tacks because what we're talking about here is. In your experience, I mean, when you're dealing with sexual sin, there's such a, a, a taboo around the subject. And um, the question is, especially when you're dealing with something like porno pornography, um, now all you got to do is go online or use the, the, the little portable computer inside your phone, and you can have access to it anytime you want. Right. So how 
are we supposed to navigate in, in a world where, I mean, heck, even half the movies we watch are filled with all this garbage. Right, right. Yeah, so one of the things that um, Melissa, my wife, and I often talk about in our conferences or when I'm out uh, preaching or teaching is that, and this is across the board, I, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your issue is, the, the fact that you're a human being made in the image of God, you are made as a relational person. And we need, we desperately need in the body of Christ, every man needs a band of brothers who knows everything about him. Every woman needs a band of sisters who knows everything about her. Uh, we need relationships and uh, that, that run deep. And we don't need people to know just because, you know, oh, you know, they're gossips or they're busybody. Of course, we don't want those people to know. But we, but we, we actually, according to James 5.16, uh, James says that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other that we might be healed. He goes on and says the prayer of a righteous man or, or woman, I believe, um, uh, avails much. So, um, and then in 1 John 1.7, we read, if we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. We, we are, are willing uh, to confess our sins to God, you know, on the way to work in the car, we might pour out our, you know, our, our hearts to him or in our prayer closet or whatever, but we are desperate to not let anyone know, particularly about sexual sin. We are desperate for no one else to know about any of that. And it is the one prescription that God gives us for healing. I mean, James, again, James five sixteen. Uh, addresses that, the, and it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Confess your sins to one another. Um, and and the, the purpose of that and the reason that we pray for each other is so that we might be healed. Forgiveness comes from God alone, from Jesus Christ and, and his work on the cross. But God does not release healing into our lives unless we're willing to involve community in that process. So how many do you, of us- how, have, do you, how do you figure that? Uh, because of what the, what the Bible says. James, so, so if James, so let's just look at 1 John 1, 7 for a moment. If, um, when it says, walk in the light as he is in the light and, and, um, and you'll have um, fellowship with one another, what is the reverse of that? What does it mean to walk in the light? It means to walk in transparency. Right. If, we're, if we're not, and I don't think we have to walk in transparency. I mean, I get up and talk about this stuff all the time and everybody knows. And, and, and frankly, there's a lot of freedom in that. But I don't think that we're all called uh, to, to, you know, to be, as transparent as that. But the problem is, is we aren't transparent with anybody. So the truth is we're not actually having fellowship. We're having something we call fellowship that's, that's not the real deal because we can't actually, and the other thing is um, we can't actually experience what it is to be loved unless we're fully known. When I, I, was, go, I was going to a, uh, a church in Chicago while I was addicted to going out to gay bars and uh, adult bookstores and hooking up and all kinds of anonymous stuff. And, and again, I only say that to simply say, this is, this is the depth of where I had gone. And I was, I was going to a church trying to get my life out of the, the place that I had taken it to. And I also got involved in a small group while I was doing that too. And I felt horrible and miserable. I hated even, I hated standing there for the worship because I knew what I was doing, had been doing the, you know, the night before the, you know, days before. And, um, but I would go to this small group and because I've been to Bible college, because I had grown up in a Christian home, because I had lots of verses memorized, I could keep up with all of them. And actually I could teach the lessons, but I would leave that group and I would go out to the gay bar or the adult bookstore. And, and, uh, and I would hate myself the whole way I was going. I'd hate myself when I went home from whatever kind of encounter I had. And I would think Gary, it is bad enough 
that you are going out and doing this stuff during the week. I mean, that, that's already, it's horrible. But how in the world can you go and spend time with this, with, in this small group with the, these men and women, these couples, these people that, uh, you know, they care about each other, they care about you. Why are you going out and doing this afterward? Well, I realized, not at the time, but years later, and looking back at that, I was giving them an image of me to love. I was giving them the best stuff. I was being, I was living out the good false self. I was pretending that I was the good Christian boy when in fact I was living in all kinds of depravity. And here's the deal. They didn't know me at all. They knew things about me. They, they, they knew stuff, you know, I could keep up with them. And frankly, some of them may have been doing the same thing. It's very common in church that we do this. What I desperately needed, and this is what I found when I, in, in our last podcast last week, I, I brought this up and mentioned how these men really came around me at this, at this church, and I found such deep healing there. The only reason I found the deep healing is because I was willing finally to tell them the truth. When they were relating to me, they knew exactly who they were, were relating to, and I knew they knew. Mm-hmm. But up until then, the enemy always had this weapon over my head, which was, if they only knew you, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. If they only knew you, you know, for your listeners, is there anything that sounds familiar with that? If they only knew you, what secrets are too awful for you to tell anybody? Mm. Well, in that place, the enemy has you. Mm. And, and, and when scripture says, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed, we do not practice that. And, and it's not just saying, go and, and confess your sins to a counselor. My wife's a licensed counselor. And, 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 uh, and, and I fully believe in, in counseling and good counseling. There's a lot of junk out there, but I believe in good counseling and good mentoring and good discipleship. But it's not just saying go and tell one person who's paid not to say anything. It's, it's saying confess your sins to one another. And so there's some, there is something about having a group of people who know you and who know all about you, the good and the bad and the ugly. For the first time, our whole person is experienced being loved. And, it, and I'll tell you, it was night and day for me uh, when, when I'd been, quote unquote, loved, when my image was being loved, it wasn't touching my heart at all. And so I'm still hungry. I'm getting in my car and leaving these small group experiences where people were very nice and trying to be kind and trying to be loving, but I wasn't letting them love me because I wasn't, I wasn't letting them know who I was. Mm. And so I'm still starving for love and relationship, and I would use the counterfeit of sex and, and you know, whatever uh, to, to go and, you know, dive into that junk food to try to get that need met. What about the Christian leadership? I mean, because it, are we, are, I mean, I assume then that it's not just a matter of the people that are hearing the messages week after week, but how deeply has this problem of unconfessed sin impacted the leaders? Oh, it, it's huge. I think I mentioned in last week's podcast too, but it's worth repeating that, and one of the one of the teachings that I do when uh, when we do a conference around like sexuality in the church, like a Friday night and a Saturday, one of the opening teachings that I do is on um, statistics and the state of the church when it comes to sexual sin, and and those numbers are are incredible. That that again, and, and they range. I mean, you know, different studies have been done. Um, some of the, some of it is anecdotal. I have, I have, uh, I know leaders that, uh, such as Pure Desire Ministries, Ted Roberts Ministry, and uh, Dr. Doug Weiss has written a number of books on on the topic, uh, and and you know many others as well. But where, when these leaders will go out and they're te- and they're speaking with pastors, um, and and they're asking, look at 
I, I just want you guys to be honest. It's, it's pretty anonymous here. You're coming from all parts of the country. And I just want you to, to be willing to say, hey, you know, I looked at pornography last week and over 50% of the hands go up. You know, that, that's very common <laughs> to hear that. There was also, I, I've heard in a couple of different um, uh, uh, either podcasts or things that I've read that, um, that back when, and, and hotels still have a lot of pornography that they offer. Some are, some are actually ending that, but a number of hotels still offer that. It's not as big of a deal now because most people are, are, are able to access all that stuff through, um, you know, through their own device on the internet. But back when that wasn't an option, when you'd have Christian leaders coming to an area for a huge Christian conference, um, the porn use would spike at surrounding uh, hotels. All of the staff knew it. And they talked about that. So the issue with leaders and sexual struggles and sin is, is, is big. And I know, I understand as, as having been a pastor for 12 years, I understand how easy it is to get, um, to get caught up. There are many pastors that, that frankly, uh, they've been burned and, and they've been hurt by opening up and, and being known by you know, a few people in their church. It's come back to bite them. They aren't very trusting, no matter what you know, many of them may say from the pulpit. <clears throat> and, uh, and so many pastors and pastor's wives have uh, a lot of unhealed wounds from past experiences or maybe what's happened you know, in their, maybe to their dad or mom that, that were involved in ministry. And, and they're not terribly trusting. And when you don't have deep relationships, because we were designed for those, we are going to get our emotional needs met somewhere. So you can't just live in a vacuum and not have those needs met and, and expect that um, you, can, you can function well. Pornography and, um, and sexual sin becomes a powerful counterfeit for authentic intimacy. And so pastors, if, you know, when they get involved in that a little bit, when they dabble a little bit, where do they go to after that? How do they break those patterns? Because once you dabble with that a little bit and you start to get um, involved in, in, in pornography and, and that kind of stuff, and, and maybe you've not had a problem with that in the past, but you start to open up that door. Well, the temptation to go back there over and over again, when you're lonely, when you're hurting, when you're misunderstood, when you're stressed and you want to find some relief, you want some comfort, that becomes a very um, powerful uh, invitation and pull to come back there. And then what happens when you're, when you're caught? Who do you go to then without losing your job, uh, without you know, yeah, being shamed, getting fired, your family being caught in the crosshairs. And so many, many pastors are sort of trying desperately to, to break patterns without involving anybody, and that will never work. At that point, what are they supposed to do? Again, that's one of the reasons our ministry exists is, you know, one, there's, there's eight major ways that we try to, that we offer ministry. Uh, some of that would be with, with leadership team meetings. We'll come in and sit and, and meet with a leadership team of a church or a Christian organization or Christian college or university, et cetera. We'll meet with the leadership team and really help facilitate the conversation around um, sexuality, around LGBT issues. Uh, those are some of my favorite things to do, actually. And then, um, but we'll also do conferences and retreats. We'll preach and teach. But one of the things that we do, too, is really offering confidential mentoring and support for leaders who are going through sexual struggles. Uh, I've had situations where a, a leader finally came clean. Like I, I went and I spoke and at the church or did a leadership team meeting or a staff meeting or whatever. And, and a leader will reach out to me after that. Like they're desperate. They have no idea who else to go to. They have been addicted and, and, and enslaved to pornography. And the thing about pornography is it's, it's like a drug in that um, tolerance builds up around the same kind of pornography. 
So usually what happens is people go through a, a, um, a, a downward spiral of getting involved in more and more deviant kinds of pornography, trying to get the same kind of high. Uh, that's not true for everyone, but that's true many in many cases. And so this one um, a person I'm thinking about uh, you know, reached out and just confessed, look, at this is where I am. This is where I've been. It's been years and decades of struggle and failure. And um, I can't even, I can't take it anymore. And, and they were ready. I mean, every single, every book that I suggested, they started opening up and talking with um, some of the leadership over them. Uh, they have, they've spoken to their wife about it. I mean, and, and um, not just in like one evening, but as they've gotten a little bit of sobriety, and, and they've cut off the, they put blockers. That's another important thing. Covenant eyes or um, getting is a good blocker on all of your devices and on, on your family computers, that kind of thing. Really important. These pastors who, and leaders who will engage and like, they really want help and support. And it's, and it is clear because they're doing everything that you're suggesting and telling them that they need to do, including taking the risk of involving other people, including getting involved even in something like a, um, um, essay group, a, a, um, a sex, sexaholics group, uh, even though that's not Christian based, um, it, it may be the first place and the safest place where you can sit with other people struggling and, and share in an, in, in an anonymous way, share, um, your struggle as well. And it's important to get that out there. Now, if there are other leaders that are just, you know, they've come to you, they've opened up, Weeks and months later, they're still as involved as they were before, you know, not making any kind of progress and, and just seemingly just continuing to give themselves over to it. Well, in that case, I think they, they need to involve their leadership as well. And probably at that point, something needs to be put in place either to make sure that they're making progress and checking with them or they need to be pulled out of their leadership role. And I think it'd even be appropriate for a period of time, not for punishment's sake, but for the sake of giving them a period of time to maybe heal with their wife or heal with their husband or heal with their family and, and, uh, and, and get some time away just in their, for their spiritual condition to give them even a sabbatical uh, that doesn't have to be this bro- big broadcast thing to the whole church in terms of what they're dealing with. But if they're making progress and they're doing well and they're putting in, uh, um, in place what needs to be in place to break the patterns and habits, I still think that a, um, a sabbatical could be a very good thing for them uh, just for continued healing. But I don't see any reason why a person like that um, needs to be booted out of ministry unless, unless or, or pulled, pulled back for a while. But that it's different when you've crossed boundaries, sexual boundaries with other people. You know, if you're doing that, then regardless of, of your heart to change and progress, I think you absolutely need to come out of your ministry role and go through it um, a period of, of restoration and healing and, that kind of thing. How do we, as a church, begin to get our arms wrapped around this idea of dealing with these issues while at the same time not beating them over the head? Because, I mean, obviously the church has either uh, gone from one extreme to the other, whether it be, well, you know, everything's acceptable, everything's okay, or no, it's not acceptable, it's not okay, and you're a bad person if you engage in it. Right, right. No, exactly. Yeah, I, again, that's, that's the whole reason that our ministry exists is, is for the question that you just posed. Uh, how can we help the church develop environments? Not just, we, we have no interest as a ministry to go out and sort of swoop in and do a conference or preach over a weekend or do all kinds of ministry and then boom, we're gone. I mean, that honestly, that serves almost no purpose. And in some ways it's even worse 
than never having uh, done it in the first place because people sitting and listening, uh, you're actually giving them a false hope. Like, oh my goodness, there actually is something that can, that can help me. Maybe our church is going to embrace something that could be helpful. Maybe, maybe our church is going to become a safe place for me to be known in my struggle and in my struggle be moved toward Jesus. Um, and, and when that doesn't happen, you know, Proverbs says that the hope deferred makes the heart sick. And mm-hmm. I think that just becomes even more discouraging. You kind of rip the scab off and then there's, there's, no, there's nothing for it. Uh, so what our desire is, is to impact the environment of churches and environments don't change in a weekend, in a year, you know, it takes, you're, you're looking at you know, three, four, five and 10 years out and a lot can happen sooner than that. But you're looking at, um, if you want to address the environment, then you're addressing for an environment to change, it has to impact more than just leadership. So leadership has to really buy into this understanding that, you know, we want more, I can't just, I can't preach my way out of this. I can't, I can't get our church to do what I desire it to do and to be what I desire it to be for a lost and broken world by preaching better sermons. And, and, and I'm all for preaching great sermons, but it has to be a much more holistic approach and it has to be an environmental shift that happens in the church in order for people to, um, to, to feel like they can trust opening up and sharing. I think so one of the most powerful- what does well, that look like then? Well, I think one of the most powerful ways when I'm asked, hey, what's the number one thing I can do to impact my environment? This is what I would say. We need to get back to a place where the body is talking to one another, meaning um, we, you know, I, I've, I've scheduled our services you know, back at this large church when I was on staff uh, you know, for a period of time and certainly have been a part of the scheduling process. I know what it's like to schedule your service down to 15-second inc- increments, right? I mean, everyone's doing that. But I think that the church needs to leave three or four minutes a Sunday where, where you can do um, video testimonies of people that are in your church, maybe video testimonies, maybe for a while. There might be somebody willing to share something in your church. There might not be anybody that's willing. The leadership should be willing to step up. The elders, the elders' wives, you know, there should be some people willing to model what does it look like to be a woman coming um, healing on the other side of, doing, of an abortion so often it mm-hmm. takes a decade for a woman to even realize um, and, and not maybe not to realize, but to ha- to receive the impact of, of what that was. You know, what does it look like um, to, to realize that? What does it look like to come out of drug addiction? And uh, for me to have come out of drug addiction or, or alcoholism or, or just really dealing with a bitter spirit. What does it look like to get rescued from homosexuality or pornography addiction? When you start having a variety of testimonies, and, and go ahead and videotape them so you know that someone's not going to grab the mic and take 20 minutes, but videotape them and, and put them out on a regular basis. Uh, and I, I, again, I think it's weekly. Put them out and let people hear, oh my goodness, it, it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's not even okay. It's good to talk about this stuff and even have some testimonies that aren't all wrapped up with a nice little bow on them. But people are still, they're in process. They're trusting Jesus they're wrestling. It's not all fixed or worked out, but they're walking with Jesus through it. I think that's one of the most powerful ways of shifting an environment is by the body hearing from one another. And new people come in and they hear that kind of stuff. And what they're not thinking is, oh my goodness, I, like, I can be broken. I can admit that I'm broken and I can be looking to Jesus to make a change in my life. Right now, what people are feeling when they come to Jesus, I come to him broken but I look around and everybody else has it together. Nobody else mm-hmm. is struggling the way I'm struggling. And so I've got to fake it. 
Well, they don't mm-hmm. realize they're doing the same thing everybody else is doing. Everybody else is faking it too. Oh yeah, and I was just as guilty. I was so guilty of this myself. And it was it was like I went to church, and, and about a year ago, I, I was going to church, and I'm like, mm, okay, yeah, okay, I'm I'm whatever. I'm going to church. It's expected of me. Yada yada yada. But you know what? At the time, I was so broken, and it took God literally getting me out of out of place where I had no access to internet, and it was just me and him and this group of women. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden, through various circumstances, he started going, "Well, you're still angry at me over this, aren't you?" And I'm mm-hmm. and and I immediately went, "Yeah." And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but but the point of that being. I mean, if we could, if we could get to a place where we're being honest and uh, transparent, how many lives do you think that would change? That would transform the church. It really would. And uh, it wouldn't just transform the church. I mean, that's not the point. The point is that the church is meant to transform the world. But one of the ways that we, that one of the, the greatest impacts in us not doing that, like we're not just to make converts, we're to make disciples. But so often, I remember John Ortberg and his wife uh, doing a teaching, uh, video teaching that I, I watched many, many years ago. And the only thing I remember, it was all good, love his work. But the only thing I remember about it is he made this statement, are we living the life we're inviting other people into? And honestly, as Christians, many of us are not. I mean, most of us are not. The best we can offer sometimes is, hey, if you come to Jesus, you're not going to go to hell. You, you, know, you can, you can uh, live forever with him in heaven. But for right now, everything just basically kind of sucks, and um, and you can pretend the same way I am. I mean, I, I mean, I know that that's crass, and and that's a little bit no, but it's honest. Yeah, it, it really is. is honest, and it's 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 a gut level honesty that is not found within the church. Because let's face it, Jesus says in this world you're going to have trial and tribulation. He didn't exactly promise everything would work out, but the, at the same time, you got these people running around. Well, you can have your best life now. Question: Where do you find that in the Bible? Right, right. And 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 the other thing I just want to really make clear is, you know, I we are not out to bash the church, and and nor are you. Um, no. But you know, there are plenty of people who are doing that. I really agree with um, with Bill Hybels from uh, Willow Creek when when he says that the church is God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B. So mm-hmm. in our ministry, we do not. Um, I, I have some some um, some people I know in ministry that, in, in some ways, are, have almost kind of given up on the church. In a lot of, I mean, they go and all that, but they're not expecting the church to really to 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 change to do much of anything uh, different than what it already does. And of course, we know that you know, in and of ourselves, we we are not going to be um, some sweeping change across the nation. But uh, what what we do believe is that God has called us to have a bigger influence nationally uh, around the issues that we talk about with regard to sexuality. But of course, what we're talking about right now, Teresa, is is so much bigger. Like it includes everything within the church mm-hmm. when it comes to um, living an integrated life that is not compartmentalized, but in that integrated life, moving together with one another toward Jesus in a transparent way. Well, that, and it, that is it, really transformational. It really is. And I think it's even deeper than that in the sense of not only are we talking about moving and, and living the integrated life with one another, but even more so with God, because a lot right. of times it's like, well, I want him, I want to give him this area of my life, but I, yeah, I don't want him touching this. Area. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and I'm like, I was just, you know, talking about that last night with, with some friends of mine uh, at study. And, you know, it's like, you know, I really don't 
want him going in this area because he's not safe. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and he's going to mess it that, up. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's not safe to let him in there. And how many people do you think, even self-proclaimed Christians, they sit there and they say, I trusted Jesus for my life. I trusted him for my eternity, but I'm not willing to trust him in this one area. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I, I think it's it's understandable for us to wrestle with some of those things, especially, I mean, depending on our history and our background and what we've experienced in terms of um, spiritual abuse and, you know, and, and whatever. I mean, there could be any number of things. And I think that it's it's understandable that we may wrestle in surrendering a particular area. But I think that's entirely different than um, than the person who intentionally withholds. Like, God, you know, this idea that Jesus can be our, our Savior and not Lord, I think that's, mm-hmm. that is an absolutely false gospel. And one of the things we have going on today is we have um, uh, a, and maybe it's been going on for a very long time and in different ways, but the thing I'm concerned about is I think in the church, even in the evangelical church, I thought that word meant something five years ago. I don't think it means much of anything anymore, evangelical, uh, because within the evangelical church, there is um, a prolific promotion and communication about something I think is absolutely a false gospel. And, and, that, and it's, and that being, yeah, and that absolutely. Being. Yeah. It's, and so the, the false gospel is it's, you know, we're talking about grace. We're misusing the word grace. Grace is not only uh, unmerited favor and, and mercy. Grace is also empowerment over sin. So we love to talk about God's mercy and, uh, but we don't like to, um, to think about the fact that grace is actually God's enabling power over sin and uh, and so sanctification becomes optional, lordship becomes optional. Well, those things are not optional in the true gospel. Those things are, are are an integrated part of the true gospel. And yes, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we and we fail along the way. But that's entirely different than saying, God, I, I I thank you for your the salvation, your sacrifice of your life on the cross, your shed blood. I'm going to receive you as savior, but I'm I'm, I'm but I'm keeping control of lordship. That's not the true gospel. Mm. And I'm reminded of that passage where the Apostle Paul says, if anyone preaches another gospel other yeah. than the one we brought to you, let him be condemned. Right. That, to me, is rather potent. So, yeah. I mean, and, and I think in getting back to the original conversation of dealing with pornography and dealing with um, sin within the church, in light of the true gospel, what is the first step for someone if they are dealing with a sin? Well, yep, and it all for me it all comes back to this to a, a willingness to risk opening up and talking with some people about it. Now that doesn't mean you you have to be wise about who you talk to because not everybody is trustworthy. And and I think the enemy has done a great job have negative experiences where we've talked to somebody and they've gone out and, and blabbed our stuff. They're, they're a mm-hmm. gossip. Uh, or and they haven't maintained our confidence, or they've kept our confidence, but they want to have nothing to do with us anymore. They've become cool in the relation, you know, withdrawn and pulled back, and uh, and and those things become very very powerful. In that you know, we start to take vows, like I am never doing that again. I am never going to open up in that way to anybody in the church or anywhere else again, regardless of our past experiences. And I had lots of those too. We need to find some. Men need to find some other men in the church. Women need to find some other women in the church that they can open up to and become vulnerable with. And again, that's where I think that every man needs two or three or four guys, not just one, but several guys uh, the, that are become a band of brothers where, um, where they start to care about each other and women too, 
where they start to they start to care about each other. Everybody has skin in the game. In other words, everyone is is when I when I start a group and and I'm bringing men together. What I want to do for the very first night is we want to share our stories. Uh, they might not want to share their stories, but I I want we need to share our stories. And so I'll start off and I'll talk about my pornography addiction. I'll talk about masturbation. I'll talk about, and, and I don't go into detail around the, the whole homosexual thing because for, for many, uh, understandably so, for many guys, that's just like, Ugh, you know, that I, I don't get that. And all I want to do is I want to name that so they kind of know where I've been. Um, I don't need to get into detail. That's enough. But I need to name some of these bigger areas of bondage that have been in my life that God has brought me out of. And the truth is they need to as well. And from that first night, some of these guys are more known after sharing a five-minute testimony, a five-minute story, than they have ever been known by anybody in their whole life. And wow. so when we come back together again, and, and, and we pick up, and, and we, uh, we're checking in with each other, and we're doing life together, and we're, you know, we're talking together and praying for each other, over the course of time, these guys, it's like, it's like guys that have been you know, hunkered down in a foxhole uh, that would take a bullet for each other. Uh, and, and, you know, in a, in a war situation, well, we are in a war situation. It's a spiritual war. And so we want to develop those kinds of groups. So when someone is stuck and they're, and they're having difficulty, my first question is, and it's not hard, hey, you know, guy at church that, that I've, I kind of know, but I might have known you for 10 or 20 years or maybe two years, but there's something about you. I do, I'm just wondering, you know what? I want to go deeper in my walk with Jesus. And, and I know there's some stuff in my life that's holding me back. And I'm kind of ashamed of it and embarrassed about it. And I know that I need other men in my life to help me through this. Do you have any of those same situations? I mean, do you feel like you want to go deeper with Jesus and that you have some stuff that's holding you back? If so, I'm just inviting you to get together with me at six o'clock at Panera, or I'm inviting you to get together with me at, you know, six 30 or seven in the morning, or maybe some evening at my house. And, and I'm going to maybe invite another guy or two, and maybe you can do the same. How hard is that question? It actually isn't hard. It isn't even that risky. And most of the time we assume no one's going to want to do that. And that's not true. One other guy and I started meeting together and, uh, and, um, on a Monday at Panera in the morning, early in the morning, six o'clock. And, uh, that group grew after uh, a couple of weeks. I had somebody else that wanted to join. He had somebody else that wanted to join. Anyway, the long, the short of it is within a, a few months, I had to start another group. And, and, uh, and that was meeting on Wednesdays. Within a few months, I started another group. And that was meeting on Fridays. For about three years or so, two and a half, three years, these groups met every single week and we didn't hide behind a Bible study. We wanted to know how each other was doing in terms of reading their Bible and, and studying the word. But, but we wanted to know, how is your life going? What are you struggling with? What are your temptations? What, how can we help and support you? And so those are the conversations every week. And we really grew to love each other deeply. And, and most of the guys, there were maybe three or four that dealt with same-sex attraction. The rest were married and had kids um, or, or single guys that, you know, never dealt with same sex attraction, but we were together caring about each other and loving each other. And what I found out from that is men are actually hungry to connect at those levels. What they don't want is to waste time coming together to talk intellectually and theologically about stuff that isn't impacting their everyday life. Amen. And I, I mean, I, I would say a lot of women are like that too. Yes. Women are also more emotional. And so, you know, they, but they want to be known and they want to connect but a lot of, uh, especially nowadays, I think people in general just don't want to waste time. It's like, that, you know, yep. if this stuff don't work, I don't want to deal with it. Exactly. And I think there are a lot of women, it's assumed that women are much better at, at, at connecting and in forming friendships. And I think that that's true. 
But also I know lots of women, even women that are doing that, that only go so deep because they don't trust other women. They've had bad experiences with other women and, and they really don't trust that their deepest um, kind of hardest places or things that have been done to them or things they themselves have done. They're, they're never, they're, they plan to take all of that to the grave with them. And the truth is we're carrying, that's a load inside of us as, as that's a spiritual soul level load that only comes up and out of us. And we only experience healing from it when we actually, according to James 5, uh, 16, and according to 1 John 1, 7, there's other places too. But when we actually are walking in transparency with one another. Wow. Wow. Well, I guess, you know, when we're talking about, you know, transparency, and we're talking about this band of brothers or band of sisters, you know, it's not an easy road to walk down. But I can tell you from experience, at least on my end, it's, it's, it's needed. It's so yeah. rewarding. But it, but it is hard. But it's so rewarding. Otherwise, we live in isolation. And, uh, and again, we're going to get, we're going to worship something and we're going to, and we're going to get our needs met somehow. It's just, are we going to do it God's way, which is through relationship and authentic connection with him and with others? Or are we going to go through the motions of Christianity and, and, and again, maybe have a real love for the Lord, but just wrestle and struggle over and over again with our addictive patterns because we won't allow anyone to really know us and, and walk alongside of us. And of course, blockers are very important. I mentioned that earlier. There are some practical things too um, that, uh, that people could go through. There's some great programs that are out there. Again, Living Waters, um, it, that's, that's uh, Living Waters program that was developed by Desert Stream Ministries. Their, their information is at desertstream.org. We love that ministry. It, we, there are a lot of great healing programs, but we feel, my wife and I feel like that was the the program that we know of that goes the deepest. And so wherever we go, we are always working to promote that and help people get that started. Um, that's different than um, the Living Waters ministry. Those are entirely different based in California. Uh, but the Living Waters program is through Desert Stream Ministries. The question that I have for you is, do you have anything else that you want to add in talking about this subject and talking, whether it be to the leaders or to the lay person within the church? Um. Well, there's also, for people who may be interested, maybe somebody hearing from the East Coast or, or even, you know, willing to travel, but Restored Hope Network is, again, the umbrella organization that, that we are a part of, our ministry is a part of, and, and they're primarily focused on the LGBT issue and, and having a really biblical uh, approach to that. Our ministry is focused on the broader issue of sexual brokenness as, as well as LGBT, unwanted same-sex attraction and transgender struggles. But if you restored hope network is a great resource uh, and and they offer an annual conference and in the summer and so in June uh, people can get on the website it's uh, uh, restored hope network dot org and you can get on their website and look and see uh, there's a conference coming up in June that's uh, a Friday and all day Friday and Saturday uh, there'll be a variety of speakers there lots of different workshops it's a great equipping opportunity for leaders but also a really good encouraging opportunity for people, leaders as well, who are struggling with um, uh, their own you know, issues of, of pornography or sexual sin or uh, identity issues. And um, so again, that's a great resource. And within that organization, there are many other ministries. You could go to their map and, and find ministries. Hopefully there'd be something in your area. We need to have a lot more members um, and a lot more churches that are kindred spirits with us to become members of Restored Hope Network so that we can 
um, build beyond the 60 or so members we have across the country uh, so that we have more opportunity for people in, in more remote areas or even in larger cities for that matter to find help and support. Well, that is wonderful. Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank Happy you so much Thanks. for uh, coming on and, you know, just talking about some of these elephants in the room and guys, look, I, I, I we did these two shows because they're needed. Okay. And wherever you're at, you know, if you are struggling, reach out. Um, you can reach out to me. You can reach out, uh, Teresa at unresolved.life. We're here to answer life's most difficult questions. And that sometimes means getting muddy and messy and dealing with some of the issues that maybe you don't want to, you don't know how to deal with. So with that, guys, if this has been helpful to you, I would ask that you would share it with someone who needs it. And I would ask that uh, you would consider supporting us. Uh, you can do so for $1 a day or not $1 a day. Well, you could if you wanted to, but like, you know, $1 a month. And then, you know, just share it and join up in the group. And you can find us at um, unresolved.life forward slash group. And if this is your first time here on the show, then I would say hit that little subscribe button or however you do it on your Google devices or whatever device you use. And uh, you won't ever miss an episode. So um, I just want to say, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. It was a joy. All right. Well, uh, this has been Teresa Blaze with the Unresolved Life Podcast. And we will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.